Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into the groundbreaking work, The Dawn of Everything, a book that re envisions the history of human societies. This 2021 publication, co authored by the late David Graeber, an influential American anthropologist, anarchist, author of Bullshit Jobs and Debt the First 5,000 Years, alongside David Wengro, a British archaeologist renowned for his extensive work on Neolithic societies and the ancient civilizations of Egypt and Mesopotamia, offers a profound challenge to traditional notions of hierarchies, inequality, property rights, and the state. This book is a must-read for anyone who has ever felt stifled by bureaucracy, history enthusiasts who crave a fresh perspective, and dreamers who fancy themselves the next Indiana Jones, exploring the depths of our past. The Dawn of Everything presents a narrative informed by recent discoveries in anthropology and archaeology, beckoning us to reconsider the established stories about the origins of social organization and power structures. Join us as we summarize this enlightening exploration into the human past, shedding light on the apparently complex tapestry of our species' long journey. Whether you're an avid historian or simply curious about the forces that have shaped human societies, the dawn of everything promises to offer a riveting account that could very well change the way we understand everything. The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity Introduction Unearthing the Sophistication of Ancient Societies and Their Understanding of Hierarchy It's a common misconception to believe that our ancestors lacked complexity, living lives ruled by primal instincts and a lack of societal structure. We imagine them as caricatures from a bygone era, without language, laws, or intellect. However, this picture is far from reality, and a new wave of evidence is shattering such stereotypes to reveal societies that were both intricate and politically astute. Ancient wisdom has often been overshadowed by depictions of rudimentary lifestyles, but archaeology and anthropology tell us a different tale. Our forebearers didn't simply live, they deliberated on the nuances of their communities. They weren't strangers to governance, property rights, or social responsibilities. Indeed, they had a grasp on political and social concepts that laid the groundwork for modern civilization. In this exploration, we'll delve into the true origins of political theory and understand how fundamental concepts such as ownership, human rights, and government emerged. The journey through this narrative will unravel how the distant past is not a story of simplicity, but one of impressive intellectual engagement showing us that the chronicles of human history are still being enriched with every new discovery. Part 1. Reimagining Human Progress – The Nonlinear Path of Social Evolution Imagine standing at the edge of a vast historical landscape, peppered with the rise and fall of civilizations, the whispers of revolution, and the echoes of societies once thought lost to time. We've been told that human progress is a straight line, an evolutionary march from hunter-gatherers to agriculturalists, culminating in our modern society. Yet delve into the past, and a different picture emerges, one that defies a single narrative of evolution and reveals a tapestry woven with diverse threads of social organization. 
Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Thomas Hobbes offer contrasting yet equally linear tales of human development. Rousseau's view is one of a peaceful, egalitarian, hunter-gatherer existence shattered by the agricultural revolution, which sowed seeds of inequality. In contrast, Hobbes paints human nature as inherently self-serving, marked by a perpetual struggle for power, a struggle innately embedded in our species from time immemorial, but evidence from the archaeological record tells us a story of complexity, casting doubt on these one-dimensional chronicles. If we scrutinize the artifacts left behind, political structures and cultures appear not in steps of progression, but as a mosaic of human experience, where growth, regression, and stasis intertwine in an intricate dance. The advancement is not always forward. It often moves sideways or even backward, challenging the metaphors of forward progression that have long dominated our understanding. The difficulty lies in breaking free from the confines of Rousseau and Hobbes's narratives, rethinking our preconceived notions of ancient societies. By opening our minds to this possibility, we can resurrect the rich political diversity and social intricacies of our ancestors. The journey through history then becomes a rediscovery of the countless forms of governance and community engagement that have existed, forming a more nuanced, vibrant picture of human civilization and the multitude of paths it has wandered. Part 2. Challenging Conventional Wisdom The Indigenous Perspective That Reshaped Enlightenment Thought Not so long ago, in the grand scheme of history, a voice from across the Atlantic captured the European imagination. Candia Ronk, a perceptive leader from the Huron-Wendat nation, engaged with French settlers in Montreal in the 1690s, sparking an intellectual firestorm. His incisive commentary on the European way of life, particularly the concepts of wealth, power and property, left his listeners both enthralled and flustered. To Candia Ronk, European society was perplexing. Defined by an insatiable hunger for riches and rigid social hierarchies that seemed both unnatural and oppressive. His biting critique raised probing questions. Why did these distant people value gold over human kinship? And why did they tolerate a system that uplifted kings while casting others into the shadows of poverty? His eloquence did not go unnoticed. The book that encapsulated his thought became a sensation provoking every luminary of the Enlightenment to weigh in. This ripple of ideas, known as the indigenous critique, wasn't the singular protest of Candia Ronk. It reflected a collective unease that indigenous cultures had with European social norms upon encountering them. European conservatives were quick to counter this indigenous critique, often by branding these outside voices as savage. They argued that European society's complexities, even with their accompanying inequities and despotism, were simply markers of a superior stage of human development, the high watermark of civilization, set against the supposedly primitive backdrop of indigenous cultures. The term egalitarian became shorthand for societies devoid of so called civilized institutions a label that conjured an overly simplistic paradise devoid of authority. Strikingly, conservative thinkers even held figures like Candia Ronk, responsible for the French Revolution's turmoil, claiming that these indigenous philosophies 
had sowed seeds of dissent within an orderly European hierarchy. But this portrayal of indigenous societies as homogeneously egalitarian reveals more about European anxieties and justifications for their societal structures than about the nuanced tapestry of indigenous cultures themselves. To truly grasp the origins of our contemporary power dynamics, we must look beyond mere dichotomies of equality and inequality. Our quest should be to unpack the historical emergence of kingship, aristocracy, and the mechanisms of control. To trace not just the story of social castes, but the underlying reasons for their very existence. So, let's venture into that story and uncover the knots and weaves of power through the ages. Part 3. Exploring the Untold Variability of Prehistoric Human Life In the vast, silent halls of prehistory, humanity's story sprawled across millions of years without a single written word to chronicle it. Yet, amidst this silence, archaeological whispers and anthropological echoes suggest a past teeming with diversity and fluid societies, far from the monolithic image we've often been presented. Traces left in the earth hint at a rich tapestry of human-like species, akin to a real-world tableau of fantasy figures, coexisting in a world brimming with different cultures and physical forms. These early humans were far from stagnant. They were wanderers and explorers, converging during seasons of abundance, defying the hierarchical constructs seen in our primate relatives. This is demonstrated through the light-hearted ridicule of braggadocio, a stark contrast to the chest-thumping dominance in guerrilla societies. Anthropology steps in where archaeology trails off, offering insights into the dynamic lives of our ancestors. Thinkers of the Enlightenment era dismissed pre-agricultural societies as intellectually dormant, but this view doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Consider the Nambiquara of Western Brazil whose society Claude Lévi-Strauss studied in depth. Here was a community that fluidly transitioned between farming and foraging, led by chiefs who adapted their leadership styles to the rhythms of the seasons. These chiefs were not rigid overlords, but astute political strategists, whose authority waxed and waned with the group's activities, showcasing a keen understanding of their own role within the social fabric. Through the lens of the Nambiquara and others like them, we can perceive that static social hierarchies were not a given. They were, in fact, subject to the ebb and flow of societal needs. Whether it be dictated by the seasons or by the community's engagement with agriculture or herding. Yet the pressing question remains when did these fluid systems of leadership crystallize into the enduring monarchies and entrenched inequalities we recognize today? How did humanity shift from transient rulers to the permanent fixture of royalty? To unravel this mystery, we must journey further into our collective past and trace the pathways that led to our modern societal structures. So let us delve into that quest and seek the answers. Part 4 from open horizons to sacred grounds, how ownership reshaped human freedom. Long before the borders of nations were drawn, an interconnected web of traditions and norms bound distant communities across vast expanses. Imagine a world where an Aboriginal Australian or a North American could traverse continents and still find familiar social signposts. 
This was a world where certain liberties were held as innate, a trifecta of freedoms that have since faded from our collective consciousness. The foremost of these was the liberty to roam and be embraced by distant lands as one's own. Then, the liberty to fluidly navigate between societal structures without being confined to one. And perhaps most strikingly, the liberty to challenge authority without fear of retribution. So, what changed? When did the laughter at the expense of arrogant rulers turn to silence? When did society cease to challenge but instead succumb to the rigidities of power? The answer may lie not in the arrival of crowns and thrones, but in the gradual erosion of these innate liberties, particularly through the emergence of property concepts. To the colonial Europeans, indigenous peoples seemed not to own their land in the traditional sense, because their interaction with it did not align with European practices of labor and ownership. This was a misunderstanding. Foraging societies had land practices that were indeed compatible with complex social institutions, yet not rooted in the European definition of property. In examining societies like the Nambiquara, and even across cultures, there emerges a parallel between the sanctity of certain spaces or objects and the concept of private ownership. Both operate as systems of exclusion. The essence of something being taboo or taboo is its untouchability, akin to the sacred. This parallels the Western legal notion of property, where ownership confers the right to exclude all others, like holding the keys to one's own car. Rituals and ceremonies often became the stage upon which claims of property and power were pronounced, becoming a powerful tool for maintaining control. To further unravel how the constructs of the sacred and the concept of ownership intertwined to redefine human liberty, we will venture to the west coast of North America. There, we will explore how ideas of property and holiness began to constrain freedoms once cherished by our ancestors, foretelling a shift in the very fabric of human life. Part 5. When Cultures Collide The Conscious Shaping of Social Institutions Historical narratives often succumb to the temptation of viewing early societies through the lens of what they became rather than what they inherently were. The assumption is that every social group was on a linear path toward agriculturalism and eventually a kingdom with an overarching sovereign. Yet, evidence points to a contrasting reality. Some indigenous communities, particularly in California, developed their social structures in deliberate defiance, not in anticipation, of agricultural societies. Taking a closer look at these indigenous Californians, uncovers a society that consciously deviated from the notions embraced by their neighbors to the north in the Pacific Northwest. The latter celebrated with potlatches, lavish festivals marked by extravagant consumption and ostentatious displays, including acts as severe as human sacrifice and the entrenchment of slavery, where up to a quarter of the population lived in bondage. In striking contrast, Californian indigenous groups practiced asceticism, shunning luxury for sustenance at their gatherings, and fully rejecting the institution of slavery. This was not a mere cultural difference. It was a profound political stance. The Californians weren't oblivious to the concept of slavery. Its tendrils stretched through civilizations near and far. They knew of it, but they wove their social fabric with threads of industriousness and autonomy, 
that inherently oppose the subjugation of others. Interestingly, the adoption of slavery in the North was not born out of a vacuum, but emerged from the aristocracy's dire need for a stable workforce to sustain its livelihood. In an inverse reaction, communities in Northern California fortified their own institutions to resist the influence of their slave-owning neighbors, defining their identity in opposition to that model of society. The emergence of hierarchical and egalitarian systems appears to be intertwined, sprouting from the same cultural soil but blossoming into divergent forms. The intimate dynamics within a community, within the very household, lay the groundwork for systemic domination or its rejection. The stark cultural division between the indigenous peoples of California and the Northwest reveals much about the corridor through which human freedoms were narrowed. It illustrates a powerful truth. Social hierarchies are not merely the result of time and chance, but are shaped by collective choices, reflecting deeply held beliefs about human dignity and the nature of communal life. Part 6. From Playful Sowing to Solemn Harvesting The Uneven Shift to Agriculture Let's venture back to a time when the ancient Athenians partook in a curious midsummer tradition. Courtyards bloomed as women set about crafting miniature gardens, brimming with sprightly grains and herbs, only to leave them under the unforgiving sun until they withered. This was a symbolic act, hearkening to the tale of Adonis, whose youthful vigour was cut short, much like the parched plants before them. In this symbolic gesture lay a deeper significance, a playful mimicry of the agricultural life that was, at the time, merely a budding venture for many. Over the years, this game of cultivation would sow the seeds of a far grander pursuit, sustaining burgeoning populations through the toil of farming. Agriculture was no light-hearted affair. It demanded relentless labor, and communities wrestled with its rigors, engaging in cultivation while also foraging and hunting as they always had. The commitment to farming was gradual oscillating between enthusiasm and reticence. It's a curious note that, despite its perceived masculinity, this back-breaking endeavor was likely spearheaded by women, but the embrace of agriculture was not without risk. Early Neolithic settlers across what we now call Austria and Germany suffered greatly when they placed all their faith in the soil. Crop failures led to starvation, which in turn ignited a frenzy of violence, Such tragedies served as stark lessons. Those flirting with the life of tillage took care to maintain a delicate balance, mingling well-established foraging practices with their new agricultural undertakings. Another misconception shatters upon closer inspection. The presumption that farming naturally ushered in individual land ownership. Archaeological evidence hints at a different reality, where communal agriculture, Sharing fields, rotating plots, and collective land management was, and still is, prevalent across diverse cultures, from the Scottish Highlands to the fertile valleys of the Balkans. It stands as a testament that our connection to the land and to each other through agriculture was far more complex and collectively oriented than the modern narratives of ownership and personal property might have us believe. Part 7. The Puzzle of Urbanization Cities without hierarchies. It might seem counterintuitive that humanity, 
after grappling with the unpredictable nature of farming and its inherent demands, would choose to cluster together in bustling urban hubs. Yet, what might surprise you even more is that hierarchies, as we know them, were not a guaranteed byproduct of urban life. Take, for instance, the first cities of Mesopotamia, home to sprawling populations. Instead of crowns and thrones dictating life within their walls, these urban settlements operated on a collaborative model where responsibilities were shared. The concept of collective labor mirrors that of the French corvée, where citizens took part in civic projects as part of common duty. Popular assemblies flourished, serving as the heartbeat of governance in Hittite, Phoenician, Philistine, and Israelite mega-settlements. Archaeological evidence from these Mesopotamian cities also paints a picture of surprising egalitarianism. Wealth, craft production, and markers of administrative influence were distributed with a parity that defies our expectations of ancient urban divides. Diversity was the norm, and city districts often played host to a kaleidoscope of ethnic groups, each with their own vision for running the city. These visions sometimes clashed in public assemblies, leading to either conflict or conciliation. Turning our gaze to 12th century Teotihuacan, nestled in the heartland of modern-day Mexico, we find a similarly astounding narrative. Over a million souls, from myriad backgrounds, called it home. Yet no singular ruler reigned supreme. Instead, artistic representations boast of communal pride, portraying citizens in uniform stature, highlighting the collective spirit over individual grandeur. In stark contrast, the smaller hill towns on the fringes of these urban centers bore the seeds of hierarchical society. Eastern Turkey's Arslantepe, for example, became the cradle of a warrior aristocracy, where figures clad in swords and spears ruled from their palatial redoubts, shunning the sophistication of writing and other urban traits. The early urban experience was not one of inevitable social stratification, but rather a patchwork of experiments in living together. Communities readily evolved distinct social structures that sometimes embraced the concept of a shared destiny, and at other times, in the margins of the urban fabric, gave rise to aristocracies that prized power and dominance. Part 8. The Spectacle of Power, the Early Ruler's Dramatic Assertion of Statehood Venturing deeper into the annals of history, we approach the threshold of state formation, a process seemingly intertwined with theatrical shows of might. Conventional wisdom casts the state as an entity claiming exclusive rights to employ force within its domain. Yet how did societies morph from loosely knitted communities into entities resolute in their control? The pillars that prop up the seat of power namely control over violence, monopoly on information, and the enigmatic allure of charisma, have been historically interwoven to lay the groundwork for what we recognize as the machinery of governance. The merging of these facets of domination wasn't written in the stars, but culminated in a ceremonious flourish within specific cultures. Take, for instance, the Olmec civilization, whose leaders captivated masses through their prowess in ritualistic ball games, or the pre-Inca settlement of Chavin de Huanta, 
where mastery of mysterious knowledge consolidated power. These were potent individuals, yet their realms fell short of being states. For a semblance of statehood to crystallize, the commanding optics of violence had to synchronize with either information control or individual magnetism. The ancient Egyptians exemplified this melding of domination principles through their ritual executions tied to royal burials. Mass killings thus signaling the unsettling onset of state formation. Such ferocity, archaeologists suggest, is an almost certain signpost on the path to centralized authority. In this light, the essence of kingship is inseparable from its brutal exhibitions. Yet, amidst these origins of severe statecraft, there also existed peaceful beginnings in communal organization. Neolithic villages, such as Tel Sabi Abyad in current-day Syria, fostered administrative systems designed to fairly distribute resources, acting to counteract greed. Here, flexibility was key. If the system faltered, it could be recalibrated to work for everyone once more. This beckons us to revisit the establishment of kingship and aristocracy. Perhaps, akin to the first dabbles with agriculture, the concept of monarchy commenced as a fleeting role, an ephemeral play king installed for moments of monumental construction or grand ceremony. Such conclusions present the modern state not as an eternal fixture, but as the convergence of varied strands of domination, a crossroads rather than a destination. With this perspective comes the realization that if the state was not fated, then perhaps its permanence is not assured. In recognizing this, we grasp that the familiar contours of governance are but one form in the shifting landscape of human political organization. Part 9. The Enduring Legacy of the Indigenous Critique, a Tapestry of Resistance and Innovation. The sharp observations of European society by indigenous North Americans, known as the indigenous critique, didn't emerge spontaneously. This critique was a culmination of vast political turmoil and discourse that had coursed through indigenous communities for centuries. Consider the pivotal period from 400 to 800 CE along the Mississippi River, when maize cultivation became central to life. This shift led to an escalation in hostilities eventually sparking urban growth at Cahokia in present-day Illinois. With 40,000 souls within its fold, Cahokia stood as the preeminent metropolis of the Northern Americas. But Cahokia's reign was not to last. By the 12th century CE, a turning point, its nature still veiled in mystery, ushered in an era of ruthless decay akin to the fates of storied cities, from Teotihuacan to Mesopotamia. Unlike the latter, however, the individuals of Cahokia chose a different response to their dissatisfaction. They simply left, eschewing a societal march towards a state and demonstrating a potent truth. The evolution of societies towards statehood is not destiny-bound. Divergence is always an option. The ripple effect of Cahokia's dissolution was profound, as waves of its former inhabitants spread into North America, a collective consciousness took shape. Regions like the Great Lakes became incubators for societies valiantly fortifying against authoritarian ascendancy, giving rise to a culture of debate, pluralism, and defiance of absolute power. This prevailing ethos still touches us today, 
manifesting in diverse modern ideologies and underpinning the luminous interchanges with European colonists. That same spirit which sparked wonder in foreign thinkers sowed seeds that would eventually flourish into the Enlightenment, ideas now interwoven with the fabric of contemporary political philosophy. The journey of social and political development is far from a scripted pathway. It progresses not through relentless forward motion, but through a series of adaptations, setbacks, and breakthroughs. As history continues to unspool, so too does the potential for political innovation and renewal. The indigenous critique reminds us that across the breadth of human experience, the story, with all its trials and triumphs, is perennially being written. Final summary. Diving into the annals of human history, we uncover a narrative far richer and more varied than the binary tales of ascent and dominion often depicted in textbooks. The evolution of early human societies paints a picture of intricate diversity and creative experimentation, challenging the notion of a predestined march toward modern statehood, from the vibrant critiques of European culture by indigenous leaders to the early urban egalitarianism of Mesopotamia. History reveals an array of political arrangements, each with its own nuances and intricacies. The ebb and flow of human organization, marked by periods of resistance, adaptation, and transformation, demonstrate that the course of societal development is not etched in stone, but is instead an ongoing exploration of communal potential. As we revisit the myriad paths our ancestors have tread, we're reminded that the journey of human civilization is far from reaching its conclusion. History is not a closed book, but an open-ended adventure, ripe with opportunity for transformation. The complexity of the past invites us to rethink our present and reconsider the possibilities for the future, signaling that change is not just a chapter in history, but a constant, vibrant force. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.